0: Some of you got more excited about that silly truck than you did about worship today. (laughs) Well, I show that for a purpose because your life is like that four-wheel drive truck. I want to encourage you to see that as a picture this morning of the way life is, that the mud course that's before us has the potential to stop us but yet when our wheels are spinning and we can't go forwards if there is an ability to spiritually put your life in four-wheel drive how many know the mud holes of life won't hold you down but you can go through them well this morning i'll proclaim to you that there is a way to put your life in spiritual four-wheel drive it's what the bible calls prayer and fasting it is a way to open the door to the supernatural for god to get you out of a ditch let's take a peek second chronicles chapter twenty and let me paint a broader picture in my introduction Second Chronicles chapter 20, the, the scenario is Jehoshaphat is the king of Judah. Someone comes to him and said, you've got a major problem. There's a big mud hole that's in front of us. Verse 1, the people came and told Jehoshaphat, a vast army is coming against you. Now, when the Scripture says a vast army, we're not talking about one-to-one odds or one-to-two or one-to-three. We're talking about potentially one-to-ten, one-to-forty, one-to-fifty. You are outnumbered and outnumbered bad. It's the time to pull out the white flag. The only problem is they're not taking prisoners. So it's a crisis. It's a mud hole that they cannot get through. But I want you to see what they did. Alarmed, Jehoshaphat resolved to inquire of the Lord, and he proclaimed a, a fast. He's praying. He proclaims the fast. Verse 4, the people of Judah came together to seek help from the Lord. So here's the prayer part. They're seeking help from God. And the essence of their prayer is in verse 12. God, will you not judge this vast army? And notice what it says. We have no power to face this vast army. In other words, I'm helpless. I am stuck in the mud. I cannot get out without you. We are helpless. We don't know what to do, but our eyes are upon you. Well, how many know that to have your eyes on God is a good thing? Because God is not bound by the mud hole. Now, this is one of the most incredible stories in the Bible. If we had time, we could read all of it. But one of the most incredible stories where God turned certain destruction into victory. God turned things around, and he turned it around because they did two things. They were able to open the door of the supernatural to have God's help through something called prayer and fasting. I've been doing a series the last few weeks called Supernatural, and it's been a series literally about the fact that God is a supernatural God, and the Bible teaches us that God wants to be involved in our lives supernaturally. But when you say the term, there are a number of responses about this word supernatural. There are those that don't believe the supernatural exists. They have been inundated by a philosophy in the last 50 years called naturalism. And naturalism says there is no God. And because there is no God, there's nothing outside the circle of knowledge that we have today. Everything has a natural cause. Others believe that God created the world. I mean, listen, it takes more faith to believe that the world and the human body and the solar system and all these things just kind of happen by accident. It takes more faith to believe that than there's a deliberate hand of a creator behind it. And some people believe that God created the world, but when he created it, he kind of walked away from it. They're called a the deist. But then there's a group of people, Christians, who believe that God was a miracle working God. He's the creator. God did miracles in the Bible days, all the miracles of the Bible, the supernatural is true. But after the Bible was closed, in other words, after the Bible was come together as a canon, or after the apostles died, the supernatural stopped. We'd call them a cessationist. Many of us were raised in churches that way. I would hope you would be in the last category where I am, a biblical literalist, which literally means that we literally believe the Bible is the Word of God, come on, and the supernatural God of the Bible is the supernatural God today. Uh, Didn't Jesus say that He's the same yesterday? Today and forever, when he was on this earth, what did he do? He went around doing good, Acts 2.38, healing all who were oppressed of the devil. So he's a good God. God still does supernatural things today. How many know when someone receives Christ as their Savior and they're born again, how many know that's supernatural? I mean, when a prayer is answered, that's supernatural, Uh, a miracle of healing. God is a supernatural God. I got an email this week from one of our members I want to read to you, and it's a testimony about the supernatural. She said, my my husband and I went through the Wednesday night classes, one of which is this Spirit-filled life class. It's about the Holy Spirit back in February and March. Well, the first day, the teacher said, the Lord told him there's someone here today who's suffering from bad headaches. Now, wait just a minute. Is that possible, yes. that God could share an insight? The Scripture would call it a word of knowledge. It's a spiritual gift. That God could reveal something to someone that they didn't figure out. In other words, they didn't look at you with your finger, you know, doing this. They didn't look at you like that or pop and Tylenol. But supernaturally, there was a, a, a something revealed. Well, we're, we're going to go further because I suggest to you that it is very possible, that the God who knows everything knows details of my life. Well, anyway, she said, uh, I came forwards for prayer. I had been a migraine sufferer since I was a teenager. I had recurring migraines three or four times a week. I was on medication for these horrible migraines. The trigger was sometimes stress, but mostly foods with nitrate. Uh, bacon would trigger an instant migraine. I mean, know she has double problems. I mean, if you can't eat bacon, uh, it's, life is troubling. Well, anyway, uh, Jerry prayed over me, and he demanded the migraines be gone in Jesus' name. In the next paragraph, she says, I no longer suffer from migraines. Wow. She Hallelujah. said, and listen to this. She said, his prayer healed me, and I ate bacon every day for two weeks straight and never developed the migraines. But something perhaps more profound, my husband saw the healing power of prayer and he's brought him even closer to God. Amen. So I share that today to inspire you. If you have a testimony like that, send it to us. Go to the webpage because it encourages our faith when what we believe is taught by the Scripture when we see lived out in the lives of people. Now, the last two weeks, I've talked to you about opening the door of the supernatural. We first talked about how faith opens the door. Secondly, we talked about how obedience opened the door. And these are not intended to be a formula that if I do A, B, C, D but rather principles or examples from the Scripture to inspire us towards this life. And this morning, we want to talk about something called prayer and fasting, how it opens the door of the supernatural. So I've kind of used this as a catchphrase this morning. Prayer and fasting puts our spiritual life in four-wheel drive. So let's, uh, let's explore. I'm going to look at two passages in the Old Testament and a New Testament this morning. We're going to be in the Old, Ezra chapter 8. Now, in the book of Ezra, It's an interesting time in Israel's life. They have been, in essence, judged by God. Under Moses, some 700 years earlier, God said, hey, look, if you guys get off the path long enough and do crazy, stupid things long enough, worshiping idols and all these things, sooner or later I'm going to have to pull the rug out from under your feet and discipline you to get you back on track not to hurt you let me know God's discipline is good just like a parent disciplines a child so they went to what's called the captivity for seventy years and then God supernaturally put it on the heart of a pagan king to say okay go back and build your temple in Jerusalem well Jews have gone back from the Persian Empire Persian lands back to Jerusalem and now Ezra is going to go back but the problem is he's got to go through this huge wilderness that's filled with danger um, I can remember the last time I went to, to Mexico. I used to go to northern Mexico, build a lot of churches. The last time I went, the missionary there said, Look, you don't need to be driving here anymore. And the hotel that we had uh, were going to stay in was riddled with uh, machine gun fire on the walls. And if you follow the Mexican border the last few years, I mean, it's a violent, violent place. So if you had to go to Mexico City, it would make more sense to take the airplane. The problem is they didn't have airplanes in Ezra's day. So he's standing here, and he's by what's called the Ahava Canal. And verse 1 says, I announced we would all fast and deny ourselves before God. We would ask God for a safe trip. Now, listen, I pray every time I go on a trip. I I pray oftentimes, but when there's real danger there, you need to bump it in four-wheel drive. And that's what they did. He called it fasting. Verse 22, he said, I was ashamed to ask the king for soldiers and horsemen to protect us from our enemies on the road because we told the king God helps everyone who obeys him. Now look at verse 23. So we fasted fasted and prayed to our God about the trip and he answered our prayers. What could have turned into destruction, because he, it's not only him going on this trip. He's bringing ladies. Children are going with him. They've got resources. They've got money. They are a prime target that, uh, that doesn't have any kind of escort with guns. So anyway, and I know they didn't have guns in those days, okay? I'm just, stay with the preacher this morning. But fasting and prayer open the door to the supernatural. Now, let's talk about Ezra first and see the kind of guy he was. Because in this series, I've been telling you, accessing the supernatural is not like going to Redbox. If you go to Redbox, you pick drama, you pick action, you pick a family film. Uh, We can't just, uh, well, the idea in Scripture is not just saying, well, God, I need this and give it to me, and I need this miracle and that miracle, and I'm kind of doing my own thing. But Ezra was, I'm going to call him, a righteous man on a mission from God. He was a teaching priest going to restore the spiritual foundations of the nation. But he was a righteous man on a mission from God, and because of that, it put him in position for the supernatural. Now look, there's a difference between living with Christ preeminent in your life, serving Him, and coming to church until duck season starts, and then hunting every weekend, come on, and fasting and praying for a new four-wheeler. I mean, listen, God likes four-wheelers and He especially likes duck hunters, but there's (laughs) – it's true – there's a difference. Between praying to kind of, you know, for that part of our lives and ignoring the more important spiritual part. If you're on a mission, you get God's attention. Ezra 7, verse 10, it describes him. Ezra had set his heart to study the law of the Lord, in other words, the Bible. He was dedicated to the, not only the study of the Bible, but to do it. This was his righteous living, and to teach his statues and rules in Israel. In other words, he was a guy that not only knew God's Word, he, taught, he lived it, but he taught other people. He was an influential Christian just like you and I can be. It goes on to say Ezra 10.1. In Ezra chapter 10, the tragedy he saw when he went back to the people is they were once again intermarrying pagan people. They were marrying outside the covenant people of God, and that was the thing that brought judgment to them. And notice what Ezra did when he went to church. He prayed, he made this confession, and he wept. And was lying face down on the ground in front of the temple of God. In other words, when he saw the spiritual condition of the nation, it affected him deeply. And you'll even see in his prayer, as he began to weep and cry out to God, other people joined around him, and they too began to weep, and it brought a spiritual revival. So the point in this is, when you start school, kids, in just a few weeks, when you go back to college, you can be the spiritually-minded person to turn your campus around. Come on. You can be the Cooper Tire evangelist. You can be the evangelist at Wadley Hospital or wherever you work. And it doesn't mean you're preaching like I am, but you're living the life, you're looking for opportunities to acknowledge God. Well, that gets us in position, his commitment to righteousness and God's calling. Now, the book of Esther, fasting is a common response to crisis in the Bible. Let me say it again. Fasting is a common response to crisis. Uh, Esther chapter 4. In the book of Esther you see the great struggle is once again we see a pattern in world history is people are trying to destroy the Jewish people. The same thing we're observing today where Hamas is lobbing rockets trying to destroy Israel. Uh, there are rallies all over the country. Uh, yesterday at the White House, there was, a, there was a rally. A huge crowd was there in support of Hamas's destruction of Israel, and the Jewish supporters were there. They had to whisk out in vans so they wouldn't be hurt. I mean, it's happening everywhere, but it's throughout the pages of the Bible. There is an antichrist spirit, an anti-Semitic spirit that wants to destroy the Jewish people. It is illogical and irrational, but because they're a covenant people, there's a natural hatred. Well, in the book of Esther, Esther was the queen. There was a man named Haman who was a wicked man, and he was Satan's instrument to destroy the Jews. And he published a law. He manipulated the king just like laws are manipulated today so they would destroy the Jewish people in a few days. And here's the passage. Esther sent an answer to her cousin Mordecai, I want you to get all the Jewish people in Susa together for my sake and... See, when I do that, that means you say the next word. Fast. Get the people together and fast. Don't eat or drink for three days, night and day, and my servant girls will also. Well, and then I'm going to do this mission. I'm going to the king, even though it's against the law, and if I die, I die. So once again, she saw that the nation as a whole was under a legal decree that they would be destroyed, and the truck was spinning in the mud, and they had no political power to get out. So she put it in four-wheel drive through this thing called fasting. Uh, fasting, by definition, is simply it's a denial of food or pleasure, but it also provides opportunity to seek God more intently. It's a denial of food, sometimes drink, or pleasure, and a seeking God more intently. Now listen, fasting is more than not eating. Punch your neighbor and say, that's a diet. That's a diet. Fasting is more than not eating. But fasting is a combination of denial and refocusing to seek God. Again, we see it throughout the Bible, even among non-Jewish, non-covenant people. A king named Darius was a God-fearer. Remember when Daniel was thrown into the lion's den? And uh, this man felt the burden for Daniel, but once again, manipulative law had bound him. But Daniel 6.18 says this, The king goes to his palace, but he spent the night without eating and without any entertainment being brought to him. In other words, that night he denied himself of some things that were not wrong, but he said, I want to make a sacrifice because there needs to be some four-wheel drive supernaturally activity here or Daniel's going to be dead. Uh, One of the church fathers, his name was Tertullian, in 200 A.D., that's about 170, 75 years after Jesus was resurrected, he said this, when you fast, heaven fights for you and divine defense will be granted. In other words, this is a man outside hundreds of years beyond the written written Scripture. This is a man, a Christian, saying fasting is four-wheel drive. But let me say this. Fasting is not easy. And everybody said? Hey, look, I was designed to eat. How about you? And if you're going to eat, you might as well eat good food. Let me say this. Fasting is not something you do all the time. For example, if you have a four-wheel drive vehicle, when you're driving down the interstate, you don't put it in four-wheel drive. If you drive all day at whatever you drive, 70 miles an hour in a four-wheel drive, you'll probably mess it up. But fasting is intended to be used in a crisis. But let me say this. It is not easy to fast. I'll tell you what. If you decide you're going you're gonna to fast, for example, let's say there's, there's a crisis in your home. Let's say one of your children are, are, are sick and, and Tylenol and, m- m- you know, medicine, those things are not helping. Uh, maybe your marriage is on the rocks. Maybe your business is almost bankrupt. Maybe you just lost your job and you don't know what to, uh, know what to do. How I many you know that's a time of a crisis? Young people, you have a zit, okay? You understand what I'm talking about. It's a crisis. It's a crisis out there in the world. But, but let's just say you said, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do what the preacher said, and I want to go to the church. And, and we, we have a little push button on our door there where we'll tell you the code to get in. And you say, I want to take my lunch breaks, and I want to come to the church for this week, and I want to fast and pray and seek God. Well, I'm going to tell you what. When you set yourself to do that, it's hard. I mean, your stomach starts growling at 10 o'clock. Are you with me today? But something happens when you do, but it is not easy. Now, listen, in a modern vehicle, if you want to put it in four-wheel drive, you just push the button. But in the old vehicles, I remember when I was a teenager, I had a buddy, and we were big duck hunters. Uh, well, he had a, a, uh, a jeep. It was an old-timey jeep. Uh, it barely had windows, you know, the kind that sometimes you have to open the door to roll the window up. I mean, it was in bad shape. didn't have a heater, as I recall. So when you're going duck hunting, it's cold. But in that vehicle, you didn't have a button to push. You had to get outside, and you had to lock the hubs in place. You had to screw the hub so it would lock in place, and then you would get power. Well, the last thing two teenagers want to do is get out of the vehicle in the cold and turn those wheels. So I can remember many times we'd say, oh, come on, we can just try it. We'll go through it. Well, let me tell you what's worse. When you're in the mud and it's spinning and you're about to get stuck... Now, if you've ever driven in the mud, you know there's a place where you better get your foot off the gas because if you push it any further, you're going to be hung up, and you need a wreck or another truck or something. Well, we'd stop. Well, at that point, the front wheels are under the ground, so now you've got to roll your sleeves up with all your hunting clothes on. You know the picture there. And you've got to get your hands in the water and the mud, and it's cold. But let me tell you what. It beats getting stuck because four-wheel drive releases more power. And that's exactly what we need spiritually when we're in a muddy crisis. Come on, we need more of God's power in our lives. Give the Lord a good hand today. Now, let's flip to the New Testament, Acts chapter 12. Acts chapter 12. This is the greater emphasis on prayer. Now, the book of Acts, if you want to look at the book of Acts, it's in two parts. The first part is about the Jews. The second is primarily Gentiles. The primary character of the first part is Peter, the second is Paul. Uh, The first uh, primary location is Jerusalem, the second part is is, is Antioch. Uh, It's a different focus. So at this particular time, chapter 12, it's been a number of years since the resurrection, and there's a great hatred of the Jews against Christians. And this is where we pick up the story. King Herod Agrippa, an evil king, he began to persecute some believers. And he had the apostle James killed with the sword. Now, Dr. Shibley is very well, much acquainted with believers losing their life for Christ. He is very involved in the persecuted church. Right now in the city of Mosul in Iraq, uh, if you've been following the headlines, they have virtually wiped Christianity out. Christianity has been there 2,000 years. But as the new Muslims have come in, uh, uh, they've virtually wiped Christianity out. So, so this happens in places of the world. could well happen in America today. What's called hate crimes legislation could be turned against those that simply believe the Bible. But he's persecuting believers. Verse 2, he had the apostle James killed with the sword, so he also arrested Peter. Peter is the leader of the church. Now, it's just interesting. When James was killed, there's no commentary whatsoever. And there's oftentimes things that happen in the Bible we don't understand, just like in our own lives we don't understand. Peter's going to get a miracle. James went to be with Jesus. Come on. But the way he went there was pretty tough. Anyway. So he, Peter's arrested, verse 4. He's placed under the guard of four squads of four soldiers each and put in prison. So here what we've got, 16 of the world's best soldiers. He's locked in prison. As you're going to see, he's chained between two men. Can I tell you, his little vehicle is spinning in the mud. Now, what was the church doing when this was happening? I guarantee you Peter was praying. But notice what verse to verse 5 said. It said, The church... Very earnestly. The church prayed very earnestly. Your New King James says there was constant prayer, the amplified, fervent prayer. Now, this is different than just a one-minute prayer. It's it's different. You know, we were as fervent as we could as we prayed for you for three or four minutes around the altar, but this is a bit different. This is where your friend, your leader, your husband, your dad is going to be killed in a moment of hours if supernatural intervention doesn't happen. They're praying very earnestly. Now look at verse 6. The night before, Peter was placed on this mock trial. Have Have you found it quite interesting that God is rarely early, but never late? He's always on time. I wish He would be early. Don't you just hate it when you have to walk in faith and depend on God? Come on. Rather than having all the answers or all the money or all that you need. Sometimes God lets you go through difficulties to create trust in Him Paul said in 2 Corinthians 1, it was so bad I thought I was going to die, but this happened so I wouldn't depend on myself, but on God who raises the dead. He helped me through your prayers. He'll continue to help me through your prayers. Listen, great spiritual people go through the fire to develop dependence on God. Well, Anyway, Peter is near death. He's on trial. He's sleeping, fastened with two chains between two snoring, stinky soldiers. You can, we can presume that, I think. Look at verse 7. Suddenly, and this is how God can work. God does not have to work through the pro forma statement of your business. God does not have to work, come on, through the weather forecast. Listen, we got a wonderful rain several weeks ago when there was a 10% chance of rain. God doesn't have to work through, through what's logical and reasonable. Suddenly, in response to constant prayer of and a man on a mission, mind you, There's a bright light in the cell. An angel of the Lord stands before Peter, and the angel said, Quick, get up. And the chains fell off his wrist. Put this picture up I gave you earlier. One of our elders said he he had been to Rome, and he saw this. He he was in a a Roman cathedral, and it was actually a church uh, in Rome named after Peter's imprisonment. But you see those chains in the center? They literally believe in their church history that these were the chains that bound Peter. Literally, this guy bound with those chains between two guards. The angel says, get up. And the chains fell off his wrist. Now, stop just a minute. Is that possible? See, we have been programmed in naturalism. There is no God. There is no supernatural. Uh, Chains don't fall off unless they're too loose. See, we're looking for the rational explanation, the reasonable why it happens. But I'm telling you, the Bible teaches God is a supernatural God, and He can do supernatural things among His people. The chains literally fell off. Peter, verse 9, left the cell, followed the angel, verse 10. They passed the guard post, came to the iron gate leading to the city, and the gate opened by itself all before Him. Now, let me ask you this question if God was able to do something supernatural for like that, that for Peter to fulfill his mission from God, could he not do the same thing for us? That's the intent of this series. This is what I call four-wheel drive prayer. It is earnest prayer. By definition, earnest means to strive, to advance, to push, to strain, to be serious in prayer as compared to trivial or nonchalant. Let me you know there's a difference between crying out to God and now lay me down to sleep. Both are important. Both have their place. You don't probably don't need fervent prayer when you're putting your baby to sleep. You're rubbing their forehead. You're kissing their alley. Come on. You know what I'm talking about. You're wanting them to gently fall asleep. You don't need to be praying strongly and praying in the Spirit and elevating your voice. But there is a time for that. There's a time. Fervent prayer means excited. It's boiling. Now, uh, James 5. Elijah prayed like this and got supernatural results. Listen James uh, 5.16, New Testament. And and if you don't hear anything else today, if you want to walk away with one phrase from this message today, one Bible verse, take this one. And I want you to say it with me out loud. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Think about that. Righteous, the righteousness we have, our righteousness is given to us by God in Christ, but we walk out our righteousness with a godly life. But notice what it says. It doesn't just have power in prayer, but it has what? great power, not an accidental adjective, as it is working, implying a process as it's working. You remember in Daniel, when Daniel was was, was praying and asking for God to intervene, and finally, three weeks after his prayer started, an angel came and said, the moment you started to pray, I was sent with the answer, but the prince of Persia, a demonic spirit in the unseen world, stopped me from bringing the answer to your prayer. Is it just possible, if there's like a zipper between what the, the 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 natural world we see and then the spiritual world behind it. And that spiritual unseen world is a warfare. There is opposition. There is the devil trying to, come on, kill the Jewish people with Esther, trying to destroy Ezra in the wilderness, trying to stop, uh, uh, kill James, and they succeed sometimes. And he's trying to take Peter. But the zipper is opened up, come on, because earnest prayer goes forth. Well, that's what the Bible teaches. But look now uh, being, uh, to, uh, with Elijah. Look at verse 17. Elijah was a man with a very, very special nature. Elijah was a man that had gone to Bible school and never did anything wrong in his whole life. No, come on, what does it say? Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. Punch your neighbor and say, he was just like you. Come on. He was a man, he was a a, a man or woman after God. But notice what he did. The Bible says he prayed fervently that it might not rain. And for three years and six months, it didn't rain on the earth. Now, he prayed not just because he was he, he, he was mad at the farmers. He prayed because God was going to judge the nation, and God was somehow using the man in his prayer. And rain was held up to get people's attention. Well, now, this is what I call four-wheel drive praying. And if I could describe it just a little bit more, this fervent prayer. Fervent prayer, let me give you a couple characteristics. Number one, it takes time. It takes time. It's more than a minute or two, but it could be an hour or hours a day and it could last for weeks again four wheel drive is not what you do when you're driving down the interstate and everything is great four wheel drive is what you do is when you're in the mud and you're about to get stuck come on and it is no no tree to winch your winch your vehicle to four wheel drive is what you do in a crisis now there's a parable of the widow in the new testament you remember when jesus told the story of a woman, and she's a widow woman, and, and if you're a widow in the Bible and you don't have a support system, you don't have social security, uh, you've got big problems. And the Bible says she went to this judge and she said, Judge, help me out. I need some justice. They've stolen my land from me. And he said, I don't have time for you, woman. You don't have any money to give me. Come on. You don't have any bribes. The next day she comes. She said, Yes, sir. The next day, uh, uh, Mr. Judge, I need to talk to you today, sir. You see, they're stealing my food again. Tell that woman I don't have time for her. Tell her my calendar is full for the foreseeable future. And you you, tell, you just tell her I said to leave me alone. No. Yes, sir. Next day, Mr. Judge, Mr. Judge, would you please help me, sir? Sir, they're in my garden right now, and they're stealing my food from me. Mr. Judge, sir, would you please send a policeman to have them care for me? And finally, after a period of time, the Bible says, he just said, Look, I'm going to help that woman because she's bothering me. And then he flips it and says, Hey, look, guys, God, your father is not like that. And he says in Luke 18:7, Don't you think God will surely give justice to his chosen ones who cry out to him? Day and night. So I'm telling you, sometimes there will be a pl- Listen, it may be today, but there will be a time in your future. Listen, when the doctors can't help you, the banker won't loan you any more money. Come on. You can't find a job everywhere you look. Everything is closed. Listen, nobody cares. You're all alone. You're all by yourself. There's going to be a time where you need to bump it in four-wheel drive. And can I tell you, when you do that, friend, you're going to get God's attention. I'm preaching better than you're amening here. Let's keep going. Now... It also may involve emotion, crying out, this kind of earnest prayer, crying intensely, desperation. Now, you may be more comfortable as I was. The church I was raised in, only one person talked at a time. And it was very polite and everything was, you know, just quiet and ordered. Listen, when you're in a crisis, God can hear us all when we pray. And it's okay to raise your voices. And let me tell you, we see this in the book of Acts. Acts chapter 4, Peter and John just got out of prison. They were thrown in jail because they were preaching Christ. And they come back to the church believers. And the Bible said when they heard the story of the persecution, they raised their voices together in prayer to God. Now, the Bible doesn't tell us exactly the decibel level there. But I would imagine that this was a desperate prayer. This is a prayer, listen, if your baby has 103 fever and you can't get that fever to break and it's a long way to the hospital, you're not just going to say, Jesus, please help us. You know what's going on. Amen. No, you're going to get down and dirty in the place of prayer. You know what I'm talking about. You're going to get intense. Well, verse 31 said, after they prayed, the whole place was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and they spoke the word of God boldly. So there was a transforming power and when intensity rose from a group. And my third little point here is prayer's power is amplified when other people join you in agreement. Now, why do we have prayer times in the service? Well, certainly because we care about you, but because we want people to agree with you. Two people praying together because power comes. Listen to what Jesus said. Jesus said, if, say it with me, two of you agree on earth. That's not just you coming, saying, God, help me. But to agree. Jesus said, anything you ask, it'll be done by my Father in heaven. Notice verse 20. Where there are two or three gathered in my name, what did Jesus say? There I am. Is it just possible that when you and I pray and there's a group of us, we could say, Jesus, thank you for being here. Come on. By the presence of your Holy Spirit. Not mystical, not weird, not spooky, but simply believing literally the Word of God that somehow the, the agreement of numbers of people bring an amplification to prayer. Now, let me give you just a little balance here. Prayer and fasting are not means to twist God's arm until He feels sorry for us. God is not up in heaven saying, I'm too busy now. He's not saying, wait till I get a, an angel free to help you out. Sometimes people fast and pray and they don't even get what they want. You don't have the power of put your credit card in the red box and push you one and it automatically comes out. You remember when David prayed, David, Bathsheba, the child uh, born out of adultery, it was dying. David stayed up all night, fasted and prayed, but the baby died anyway. Now listen, having said that, though, most times in the Scripture, many, many, many times, prayer and fasting bring spiritual breakthrough. And I say this to you as your pastor. Unless God's will is clearly revealed otherwise, you have faith, you pray, you fast until change comes for your life. Come on, give the Lord a good hand today. Let me, let me, let me wrap this up with this, and then we'll have a, a time for prayer, and, and then uh, we can decide who's taking who to lunch, okay? Who's a really good cook? Let me see your hand. So what's for lunch? (laughs) We got the faith for the loaves and fishes today. (laughs) Let's close with this. Now I want you to listen to this. Turn me back on if you've turned me off. Sometimes prayer and fasting makes the problem go away. Sometimes it gives us spiritual strength to go through the fiery test. Let me say it again. Sometimes prayer and fasting get you out of the mud. Sometimes prayer and fasting helps you go through the test. Now, I want you to think of Jesus, Matthew 26, and let me close with this. I want you to remember our Savior. He's with his disciples gathered around him, and in just a few moments, Judas Iscariot and some Roman soldiers are going to come up the hill, and they're going to take him away. And he knows he's going to be beaten and flogged and abused, no more sleep, no more meals. And the next morning, he'll go through a mock trial, and he'll be crucified on a cross. He knows it's coming. But listen to what he said. He said, the hour has come. The hours come, and the Son of Man is delivered into the hands of sinners. But look at what he said, rise and let us go. Now, the disciples interpreted that as run away, which they did. But what Jesus was saying, let us go. I'm going to face this. I, my betrayers are coming. Now, what's the point here? Jesus faced his greatest challenge in life by prayer and fasting. Now, I want you to listen to this as I show you in a moment. If you can identify with this a second, Have you ever been to a situation to where you were just scared to do it and you you walked away from it? Scared to go to the doctor's office. You didn't know what he would say. Come on. Scared to get out of the bus and play the game because you saw how big the other team was. Scared to go in and get your wisdom teeth out or whatever. Something inside says, run away from this thing. Well, Jesus had everything inside him saying as a man, run away from this thing. But let me tell you how he got himself ready to say, let's face it. Up a a few more verses. Verse 36 before Jesus said that, he went with his disciples to a place called Gethsemane, and he said to them, "You sit here, and I'm going to go over there and pray." Then he said to them, "My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death." In other words, this is so bad, I don't, I don't, I don't know if I can, I don't know if I can stand it. Have you ever been there? Yes. I mean, the truck I'm telling you is is it just the wheels are spinning? He said, verse thirty-nine, he fell on his face to the ground. See, this is where the earnest prayer is happening. He fell on his face to the ground, and he said, Father, if it's possible, if it's possible, may this cup of suffering be taken from me. But notice what he said, yet not as I will, but as you will. Then he went away a second time, and he prayed again. But listen how it's different. Now he says, Father, if it's not possible for the cup to be taken away, unless I drink it, may your will be done. In other words, first, he's still kind of saying, Lord, if it's possible, this is so difficult. If there's another way for this to happen, please let it be. But when he prayed again, he says, Now, I know it's not possible, but I want your will to be done. And the Bible said, verse 43, Even a third time he came back and he found them sleeping, but he left them and he went once more, prayed the third time, and he said the same thing. So what's the point this morning? The point is our worship team comes. The point is simply this. Jesus spent the last hours of his night getting ready for his greatest challenge. He wasn't playing cards and wasn't watching TV. He wasn't playing Candy Crush on his phone. Come on. He wasn't posting on Facebook. He didn't just rent three or four movies so he could escape for a little while. He didn't drink his way out of it. Come on, you with me today? He put it in four-wheel drive and he pressed through until he found supernatural strength from God to face the most difficult challenge of his life. I want to tell you, friends, that worked for Jesus. It worked for people on the pages of Scripture. And when your life is in a crisis, God will either give you supernatural ability to go through it uh, uh, and get victory uh, over it. It'll never happen again. Or He'll give you the grace to go through that thing, come on, and get you to the other side because He will never fail us. Give Him a big hand today. He is worthy of our praise. Why don't you stand to your feet with me this morning? And I want you to take what could be the most important couple minutes of your coming to church today and say, Holy Spirit, what are you saying to me now? What are you saying to me? Let's sing it, Pastor.